Kennedy Street, please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist. Everybody, welcome to Recovery Talks. Today, I've got a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, uh, a lady I've worked with professionally. She's a great actor, uh, a great singer, and a great dancer, especially on ice. And she's a new book coming out soon. Would you please welcome Miss Denise Welsh? These are a series of little chats with our friends that are in recovery uh, to show a there's hope and uh, it's possible to get better. Uh, and uh, it's possible to get better and it's it's possible to get rid of all the shame and the anxiety that's around recovery, especially people now in these days, uh, in these strange times we're living in, who are maybe on the the beginnings of their journeys, who are, who are a little worried. Oh, she's a beautiful lady yeah. and she's Aww. a huge heart. A huge heart. And I love you dearly. And the fact of the matter is, is I don't see you enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Denise Welsh. Yeah. Hi, lovely Kennedy. Hiya. Hi, hi, oh, hi. Look at you, sunshine lady. What a beautiful outfit. And I love is that Lincoln's art is in the background. What a beautiful. Yeah, lots, of, lots of devils and demons that I live with on a daily basis. Brilliant. Well, fourth eager. We'll take that off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful though. I think it's great his art though. I mean, yeah. I know we're here to talk about. Well, you, no, I mean, at least he can continue doing doing some of that. He's he, he lost a bit of his mojo at the beginning, but he's getting it. Um, he's getting it back now. Yeah. As we all get, as we all sort of the new the new normal, as people call it, becomes our becomes normal. You know. Are you getting used to it yet? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a bit like you, Kev. That um, well, not as much as Lincoln is, but I, as I've got older. I, I love working and I'm very, I'm very um, flattered, I suppose, that I am still working and have some kind of relevance at 61, nearly 62. Um, but I also love not working. I can't afford to not work as much as I'd like to, but I do like not working. So actually, being home guilt-free, um, lying in bed till 11.30 guilt-free mm. has has done me a lot of good. And in the sunshine, getting up, um, going to my little farm shop, which has kept me going because I've been able to not, you know, support locally, but also not go to the supermarkets and whatnot. And I know how lucky I am that we live sort of on the borders of the country, I suppose. So we're not disturbing anybody by going for, you know, we can go for our lovely our lovely walks um, as when we can. And so I know I've got it a lot easier than many, many, many people who are struggling in lockdown. And I'm grateful for that every day. And also, I've, I'm not a cook, but I've cooked more. I've enjoyed doing those things that I convinced myself I don't have the time for. But as regards my children, this has put a complete stop to their lives. And it's them that I worry about. They are being absolutely amazing. People say to me, 
oh, I bet you're missing not having the boys at home. Not really. I think I'm much happier with the boys doing their own thing. Luckily, Louis, who's 19, as you know, he decided to isolate with a pal of his because he was spending a lot of time there anyway. Obviously, they've got a flat, so there's no parents there. So he's just, I think, bought shares in PlayStation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And Matty is in Oxford at the studio where he lives and works with his girlfriend and with George, the drummer, who you know, and who is his co-writer. They've got the album coming out on my birthday, May the 22nd. So at least he's in a familiar world and able to be productive. He's doing all the promo at the moment. But he struggled with it a bit as, 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 as well. Just the whole, the whole thing is just so monumental and huge. And um, it's very, there is, I, I've read a few things on Twitter of people saying that they, it's not, it's survivor guilt, but it's the fact that they are feeling guilty about quite enjoying the bubble that they've created. Because on the other hand is at one click, we see the death and devastation that's going on worldwide. And it's, and it's hard. And I think we need to, as caring human beings, we need to be in, informed and aware and completely empathetic with all of that, but at the same time, be a little bit selfish and regroup and try and get our own families through it. And I don't know if it's selfish. I think it's more self-care, to be honest. Maybe. I don't know about you, but for me, if I watch too much news... Now, Kevin would watch the news 24-7. Yeah. Quite happily. If I did that, I would have a nervous breakdown. Yes, I know. Lincoln can't do it. I watch more than he does. And, and honest to God, I have to walk into the room and I say, you're going to have to turn it off now, Kev. And, and, and I'm not, not informed. I am informed. It's just that my mental health and my well-being, I know there's nothing I can do. It's like a true experience of powerlessness. And, and I think to myself, by me watching this repetitive, and it is drama and chaos, I think. Yeah, it is. It is. It isn't. And necessarily fact. I mean, that was the reason why we wanted to do these talks, to be honest, to give a bit, give a bit. I mean, the thing is, as someone who suffers from depression and anxiety, normally, um, normally when I'm in a depression or in a massive anxiety thing, it's unfounded. There's no reason for it. Whereas, you know, so you, so, so you actually feel very isolated and alone because you know that there's nothing in your life that's causing this. Whereas now, there is. But somehow I'm dealing with it better than a lot of people. The thing about my depression is that there are two types, mainly. There are many. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about bipolar and everything, and I'm not a medic. I'm talking about just having a knowledge of the illness as a lay person, having suffered it for 30 years. Reactive depression and endogenous depression. And reactive depression is obviously brought on by circumstances, world, world circumstances, personal circumstances. Mine is endogenous. So when my depressive episodes hit, they hit out of the blue. So basically, I could go to bed tonight and wake up in the morning with my depression, which would have nothing to do with the fact that we're living through a global pandemic. So every day when I wake up and I don't feel depressed, I feel sad because of what's happening, is a is a bonus for me because just like you say, Claire, about watching all of this chaos, that can create an anxiety in me, just the chaos generally. And if I go down, A, my own immunity goes down. And this is why I think that there's a lot of people out there in the media who 
who are not considered. We have to we have to look after people's mental health as much as physical health. Yeah. And as you say, chaos is a very good word to describe what's going on. And I just know that if one thing that's keeping my family going is my is me not having depression, is me being there, being all right, and me being there to lift them up. So I'm doing everything I can as well to to try and stay stay well. I also I have to remind myself of the how to keep this this coronavirus in perspective as well because we're hearing every single death well not every single death but we're hearing about the amount of deaths every day now we're hearing about you know the horrendous care home deaths and all of this and it's just it's something that we that we were never really meant to take on this amount of death and destruction in our in in, in our lives and hearing it, you know, because of the fact that we have access to this news. But at the same time, 98% of people who get coronavirus will survive it in their own house and not go to hospital, which is, is not taking away from the horror of those people dealing with sick, you know, it's not. But, but we also have to, I have to sometimes balance it out. By the, thinking, reality, the reality of the situation is, is the media... <clears throat> I don't want to get into media bashing, but but there's got to be a balance where where there has they, they, and the media don't want to show the balance, Kev, which we know yeah. they absolutely don't want to show the balance. There's very few um, media outlets who don't love to get the words "death," "virus," "killer," "destruction," "we'll all die tomorrow" into their headlines as much as possible for clickbait. Because I'm as guilty as anybody of 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 of, of, of doing that, you know. But it would be nice. I just think it would be really lovely at the end of every report to talk about the people that have been released from intensive care that day. It's, we know how heartwarming it is when we see these amazing NHS staff clapping somebody out yeah. of who's come off a ventilator. Yeah. And yeah. Um, people have accused me of putting too much of a rosy glow on it. And I don't think I am at all. I'm quite aware of what's going on. But I just think it's somehow it's sometimes nice as well to hear about the lives that are being saved rather than the lives that are being lost. And for me, about the heroes that are emerging, you know, oh, I mean, God. Tom. Captain Tom this morning. Did you see him? That little is he 103? Oh, no. he's raised something nearly like a million pounds already <laughs> in the morning. It's like those are the people I want to talk about and celebrate. I know what's going on in the world, but you know what? By getting involved in the drama and the chaos is not going to no. be productive. I want to give a little bit of hope, a little bit of, a little bit of buoyancy to those people. My, you know my project. You know that I do a lot in the community and um, with hard-to-reach community members. I do. I'm experiencing a lot of devastation, a lot of, a lot of addiction. Since this pandemic has emerged then, it... The, the phone has not stopped. And it's not the marginalised groups that are ringing me asking for help. It's the high-functioning addicts that normally have a job to go to that keeps control of their issue. Yeah, it's a lot of people at home uh, now. What are your strategies to, to, to keep yourself safe from your addictions and your, and, and your mental health? Yeah. What, 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 what? Um, well, as regards my alcohol addiction and drug addiction. I celebrate eight years on the 18th of this month. Yay! 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 I know, I know. Um, so I shall be shouting from the rooftops about, about that. I've always said, Kev, that um, 
I'm very, um, I'm very lucky that I have Lincoln because we are each other's anchor. And I, I will open, I will admit, which I have done, that this situation has been the biggest test on our sobriety that we've had in eight, in eight years, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. The whole, you know, my mind's come round to it now to accepting where we are, but at the beginning, it was all so weird. It was, that, it was that weirdness that when we didn't really know what was happening and we thought it was something that was happening in other countries and it was just really weird. And I just felt at that point, Jesus, I just want something to take the edge off. I had no desire to, to get on one, no, nothing like that. It was just I was envious of people who can drink responsibly. And and I would find myself looking at friends, you know, because everybody was saying, oh, thank God for my glass of wine. Thank God I can go back and just open that bottle of red. You know, thank God I can get on Zoom and we all have a quiz and we just have our... And I was jealous of that because obviously with us, mm. when with Lincoln, we can't have something to take the edge off. I don't smoke weed. I don't do any of those things. So we've got nothing to take the edge off. And that's hard. Mm. And and so I suppose I got a bit, I had, a, you know, a couple of weeks where I felt, I just felt a bit resentful because I just wanted something to just make it go away for a couple of hours. Thank God I never did. And to be honest, I've never been close to doing it. Mm. Lincoln and I, so much has come out of our sobriety. Um, one of the main things is that, is, is, is our relationship, because that is the rock around which everything else you know, circles. And about that, because I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I know your story, but there's yeah. going to be people watching, and they're not going to know how um, how yours and Lincoln's relationship started. Really, yeah. at the beginning of your sobriety, very much so, wasn't it? Well, to try and um, uh, sh- shorten it, because you know me, I'm I'm um, I'm not a woman of few words. <laughs> um, but so ten years ago, um, approximately. We met in a nightclub at six o'clock in the morning that doesn't open till four. So that will give you some idea of the level of partying. So I had gone out in London to meet um, a couple of friends, one being Matt Evers, the lovely Dancing on Ice um, Matt Evers, who's still one of my dear friends and who you guys know. And I'd gone out to meet a couple of friends in Soho House 10 years ago. And... I had been invited to the after sh- the after party of the Brits. Now I've never been invited to the Brits. Um, ironically, my son goes on to win a few uh, years after. But you know, me and the music business are not exactly joined at the hip. But somebody had invited me to the after party, and the word party was all I needed, as you well know, because you were involved in some of them. And um, anyway. So I'd met with a couple of friends and about and about sort of two in the morning or something, I said, come on and let's go to the Brits and party. So we <laughs> left Soho House. What had happened was through the night, various other friends had come in to Soho House to join us. So I, somebody said to me, so Denise walked down the street as usual, like the Pied Piper. With my little entourage, which had grown to about 21 people, went to the Brits party, refused. And I'm going, but I'm on the guest list. And they said, yes, you are, Denise, but not the 21 friends that you've brought in your wake. Hailed a taxi, 
um, apparently, Matthew told me years later, that I had walked into Bungalow 8 with an entourage of people and gate-crashed Tiny Temper's birthday party. <laughs> of this, and he was there, of this I have no recollection. <coughs> now, I might be making light of this, but if we don't make light of some of our horrors, you know, we've got to. So, we piled out of there, hailed a cab and gone to a club called Jet Black which was in Holborn, and it was for the hardcore partiers. Anyway, I'd gone there, apparently disappeared for an hour. To this day, I have no idea where I went. My friends had looked everywhere for me. They, they couldn't find me, so they left. One, in fact, apparently ended up on a park bench at Welling Garden City. And um, again, we don't know how he got there. I came out, and I just remember a friend of mine called Noel, who was a model, saying to me, this is Lincoln from Stringfellows. And there I was meeting this Lincoln from Stringfellows. Now, at the time, I was officially married. Tim and I had separated, but we had chosen at that point not to inform the public. And, um, <clears throat> and so, basically, Lincoln and I started this um, relationship, clandestine relationship. I was being hacked by the press, which I didn't know, so therefore it wasn't clandestine for very long. And, um, and basically... Um, the, the press picked up on it, making it worse for me. It was a very toxic, horrible time. But in the midst of all this madness, we fell in love. And he was living a very nocturnal life because he was the PR and marketing manager for Stringfellows. So his, his own partying didn't start till three in the morning mm -hmm. and usually include a gaggle of Stringfellows girls as well. You know, like in Kev's face. Um, no wrong with that. Yep. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, yeah. can we talk a bit about <laughs> girls? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> is there any... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, he would, he would turn up with a group of girls. They'd all go to meet his mates in what they called the office in Soho, which was 40 Dean Street, this restaurant that's still there, but, you know, different now. And so his partying would start. So we both, we were both alcoholics in denial for completely different reasons. Lincoln was a lost soul for his own reasons. I was a lost soul for mine. And um, I was medicating, self-medicating my depressive illness. I was self-medicating my marriage, which Tim would agree we should have ended years before. Thank God we've, we've salvaged a wonderful friendship and two amazing children out of it. But we should have let it go years before. But you, you don't know what you, you know, you don't know. Anyway, Lincoln and I soon realized after a humdinger of a row one night, a real humdinger, not physical, but humdinger, the, the thing preventing us moving forward was alcohol and drugs. I hated the person that Lincoln became on alcohol and drugs, and he hated the person I became. And there was only one way forward. And I gave Lincoln an ultimatum one day after one of these rows, and I said, um, unless you stop drinking, this is over. And... It makes me emotional to talk about it because I know that we're only in 3% of the world that, that, that did this, but um, he stopped drinking that day. Wow. And I, um, I, I thought that I didn't have as much of a problem. I was on tour with Steel Magnolias. I was able to do the show and I was able to, to, to on most nights, have a couple of beers after the show and go home. Um, fast forward to one night in Richmond, April the 18th, 
um, where we were playing a venue the nearest we were going to, to London. I was in the show with some amazing actresses. Sherry Lungi, Isla Blair, um, Sadie Pickering, Cheryl Campbell. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful cast of women. And um, we decided that we would have a little celebrity gathering to create a bit of press interest for moving forward with the tour. So I remember Isla Blair brought Derek Jacobi and I brought Nanny Pat from The Only Way Essex. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'd said to Lincoln, um, if I, because I'm very excited, you know, and I've got my friends coming and everything. I said, but if I start to get drunk, just tell me, because Lincoln had been sober two months by this time. And um, so I vaguely remember him saying to me, darling, I know that the guy that you've just snogged is your gay friend from EastEnders, but the paps who are taking pictures through the window don't know that. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just think you should be careful because you're getting drunk. Me? Don't you tell me what to do. And the next thing I remember was waking up in the morning, Lincoln throwing me a newspaper and on the front of the newspaper, was a picture of me leaning across a car, screaming, um, shouting, um, and I had no recollection of anything. I'd pulled the door off the hinges in the flat. I'd smashed a lamp, um, and Lincoln had videoed me. I didn't ever watch the video because the fact that it was there was enough to horrify me. And um, Lincoln drove to the theatre that night. I then went and did two shows. I remember Casey Ainsworth. I don't have hair to hold back, but if I had, she was holding my hair back in the wings. It was horrendous. I, it was just awful. And I knew that I was going to lose him. And he came to pick me up and he said, I don't want you to say a word until we get back to town. He drove me from Richmond to Kensington where he had a flat. And at the end of that drive, we sat in the, um, outside the flat and he just basically said to me how much he loved me, how much he worshipped me, how he couldn't imagine life without me. But now that he was trying to stay sober, he wasn't going to be able to live with me, not knowing who was going to walk through the door. And I haven't had a drink since that night. No. Oh. And I, I get upset sometimes that I wish that I had done that for my children. But there is a, but I didn't because... There is a, you know, you have a different love for, you know, I, I felt that I was functioning. I felt I was hiding a lot from my children. I wasn't. And Matthew and I pick up the pieces now from, from that. Um, but what Lincoln and I have is a wonderful, like you guys, a wonderful, loving relationship. And because of that, the rip, it's the ripple effect of our sobriety the ripple effect on our children and our families, how I was able to mend my relationship with my sister. My mum died three weeks after I had stopped drinking. If I have any regrets, it's that I wish I'd done it sooner and my mum could witness my life in sobriety. But I take some solace from the fact that she died knowing that I'd started that journey. And the fact that Matthew and Louis and Louis, my stepson, have the wings to fly now, knowing that they don't need to worry about us. And that is what keeps me sober, is that anchor of knowing I could never, ever put anybody through what I put them through at, at the time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so if ever I felt the desire to reach for the bottle, it would be those things that, that pull me back. And I know that in a situation like this, which is what I try to say to people, because you will understand how hard it is to not be the drink police. Mm. 
because a lot of my friends drink and I love my friends. You know, I didn't surround myself purely with sobriety. A lot of my mates drink and when they're drinking, I just move away. I don't really have lots of gatherings in the house now because if I hear clinking bottles and people saying, should we just go and get another one for the road? I want to smash their faces in. So I tend to go to their houses and then they can fill their boots. And once they've told me the same story 14 times, I can leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and normal living for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 we just, you know, we know that the drinkers that we are, we would drink ourselves into oblivion over this situation and wake up and my anxiety, my depression, my self-hatred, my oh God, I can't imagine going through anything in my life now with alcohol and drugs. I, I just, I just can't. I mean, I tell this story in my, in, in my book of you guys, I have a book coming out on June the 25th called The Unwelcome Visitor, which is about my, um, which is about my uh, uh, depression journey over 31 years and therefore includes the alcohol thing. And I tell the story, Claire, which I hope you don't mind because I've told it before, but <clears throat> about how you came to my 40th birthday and um, you, I, I saw a vision of you. You burst into tears and left. And it was when Kev was in, had gone to AA and you were with Al-Anon at that point. And they said to you, you have got to leave him. Yeah, you've got He has to. got to realize the yeah. severity of this and you've got to leave. And you came to say happy birthday to me under those circumstances. And, and you just couldn't hold it together and you, and, and, and you left. And then you yourself, obviously, discovered that you had issues also yeah our story very much is um similar to yours in the sense that I didn't think I was that bad because I was married to somebody who I perceived to be a lot worse and Mm. basically what I know now is Kevin had progressed a little bit further along than me and and if it wasn't for go to Al-Anon and learning about um how to let go with love and learn to love myself that was the yeah yeah then I would never have known that actually I had a recovery to make because it was only sitting in those Al-Anon rooms that I... I know, I remember. Remember, and I'd come and I'd say, oh my God, people are talking about their wives, what they're like when they're drunk. And it was like they were talking about me. And I think, and I said to the old lady sat next to me, I don't actually think I'm meant to be identifying with and she said to me this old lady said to me this was one of the greatest things anyone's ever said to me but the hardest things anyone's ever said to me she said for for six months you've been coming here she said six months you've been pointing that finger at your husband and blaming him for the way your life's turned out haven't you and I was like yeah he's a drunken bastard and she went Every time you point that finger at that poor man, remember, there's three pointing back at you and one at the solution. She went, you're the only one you can do anything about. And she said, you can only do it with outside help. She went, now get your shit together. Yeah. It's like, there you go. There you go. That wow. Was a- wow. Yeah, that was a revelation. How do, how do you guys, just flipping it, how, how do you guys deal in situations like this which are completely out of our control? I mean, do you have moments still, Kev? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the self-isolation, I quite like the self-isolation. I think I've been self-isolating for a long time. I don't... Well, because you've had, cause you've, had to, you've had to be away from home working so oh. long, probably longing for this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, 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 being at home for me is, is, is a whole new experience because normally on the road in a very small bedroom somewhere, 
Um, he's loved it. Yeah, he's been good. He's loved it. It's yeah. done my head in. I'm not even going to lie. Oh. <laughs> Looking at the back patio, thinking there's two two loose two loose slates there. I well, think. can I just ask you this? What put this request in? Lincoln and I have a very well known love of true crime, real life crime. If there are going to be any murders committed, can you make sure that the girls film it? Because I am running out of yeah. real life crime. So we, I need it documented if any crimes are committed in your house, if you could ask the girls. Thank you, because I'm really running out. Really very close. Two days ago, could have quite... But you know what, ultimately, I think what I discovered after taking myself off, because what I do is I, I do a lot in the community. That's my way of getting out of my own head. Because if I go in my own head on my own, it's still a dangerous place. Yeah. I'm my own worst enemy. And if I'm left on my own for too long with my thoughts, I can, I, what goes on in the magical world? Of yeah, Claire, yeah. Thing. Yeah. So I get busy in the community. So when he does my head in, I take myself off, get busy. I mean, the phone's ringing off the hook. I, I could be on Zoom 24-7 on, on face-to-faces with newcomers. Really? Yes. Mm. So I just get busy doing that. Because there's a lot of need out there. We've got um, we've got loads of older people on our road. I also deliver kindness packages, don't I? Yeah. Um, to families that are struggling. Because I'm getting phone calls off families who whose partners are in a bad way because of addiction. And can you imagine being in lockdown with an alcoholic addict Ugh. who can't get? Do you know, Claire. That and and people people living in people living in um in in violent situations with children and I mean it doesn't even bear thinking about the trouble is you feel as you feel so helpless that's that's why I that's what I have to stop getting my head into because I feel so helpless it's wonderful yeah, that you are able to help so apt has it really because a day at a time is all we can do yeah and all we can do is what what. What I'm trying to do is all I can do, and that is often just have a little conversation with somebody and try and put bring a bit of perspective to it and just say, you know something, there are lots of people out there that are really happy to support you. Mm. So even if, I mean, I was speaking to a lady the other day and she had locked herself in the bathroom downstairs and a, a partner had taken something, she didn't know what was wrong. He'd started frothing at the mouth. So the first thing I said to her was, you're going to have to ring an ambulance. Mm. And she was like, I'm scared. So I said, you're going to have to ring an ambulance because that's not normal. I said, and then once you've done that, ring me back. She rang me back. She said, they won't let me go with him because of the pandemic. Yeah. So I said, right, I'm going to give you a phone number. So I gave her a phone number of a self-help group that's gone online. All of the self-help groups. Yeah. I know. I know you did. I know you went to a few AA meetings because I think I took you to a couple. And yeah, Kev did. We went to we went to one in nuts for dinner yeah. a few times. Yeah. But it's all there. It's all there for you. On, but it's online, online now. So, so it, you know, it's good. All of those fellowships, including the family fellowships. So Al-Anon for family members, Co-Anon and Fam-Anon. There's loads of family fellowships. They've all gone online too. But a lot of people that don't know this stuff right okay don't know so yeah. what i'm doing is trying to connect them to connect those. them yeah it's all about connection yeah uh, because some people have no idea i'm not tech savvy i mean yeah. i'm certainly not so no now, i'm not either i know yeah new problem of trying to get uh, of getting mobile phones or laptops to people and then we've got to try and talk them through it so they can get online so it's a whole a whole myriad of different problems. How have the girls been dealing with everything? The kids? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're just turned into complete and utter 
um, hermits that live in like cave-like yeah bedrooms. cave-like existence yeah the, 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 I can't even go in the bedrooms that just no way I just Katie's devastated because her GCSEs have been cancelled I actually think she might have been swapped at birth because neither of us would have had that I yet. would have been doing side kicks down the street those Tom and Jerry kicks down the street if someone said to me guess what you're staying home and your GCSEs are cancelled you imagine we'd have been swinging off the optic oh. Doing backflips, backflips that we couldn't do before we turned into <laughs> And there's there's no football, there's no sport, which is a bit, you know, that's yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's no, it's devastating. So we watch the news instead. So, but the kids are great. The, no, kids, the kids are good. The kids are loving it. I think kids deal with it a lot better than. than I think they do. Kev, Louis has really surprised me. You know, I mean, he just said, mum, it is what it is, you know. And he said, listen, I went into this as an out-of-work actor. And he said, so I get up at two in the afternoon. My bedroom's a shit piece. He said, I basically eat rubbish and I play PlayStation till four in the morning. Nothing nothing really has changed much in my life. <laughs> I'm in his camp. Yeah. You see, wherever you've been with Louie, no happy. problem. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. And I don't have to talk to people. Yeah, that's it. Oh my god, that is what Link. I mean, honestly, really, Lincoln doing his videos as the isolator. I mean, he's run out of storylines at the moment. Um, and uh, but that sort of kept him going for a while. But really, he's he's realized that he he just, I mean, he, he he said to me, you know, literally, that he said when he first met me, he went, Why does all your your tribe, your crowd have to do this hugging thing? He said, why do they have to do it all the time? And he said, some of your mates even kiss me on the lips. Uh, uh. So, of course, now that we're not allowed to do that, he honestly wants a law to be brought out that you're not allowed to, you know. And, and he said, it's going to be great. He said, because even when lockdown's over and they stop social distancing, I'm still going to just, I'm going to get away with it by just saying, I just put just with a hand, with a hand out to everybody well, like that. Nice to meet you, mate. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Walk around people like that on the pavement. So from that point of view, he thinks that's a really brilliant thing that's come out of this. Um, not hooking business. No, I mean, he's quite happy. He's quite happy isolating. He's always been good at isolating. Yeah, not it. too keen on people, to be honest. No, well, Lincoln's not. And as I say, I mean, I, I quite like that. Yeah, I'm not a very good cook, but like to do things in one pot. Quite happy doing that. Made a banana cake, because obviously I realise that you're going to get arrested if you don't make a banana cake in lockdown. Who knew? But apparently that's what you do. But the problem is I made the banana cake and then ate the whole thing. You know, <laughs> says, says the ambassador for Light to Light. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's another thing, isn't it? I mean, I've been, we've had Easter, so we've had loads yeah. of chocolate anyway. And so we... You know, I mean, I've got, to, well, I've, got to, I've got to watch that because, you know, A, A I am the ambassador for Light to Light. And, I, and as I know, it is, you know, it from a medical point of view... They're saying that it is dangerous to, to be, we should be aware of piling on weight during this time because it's one of the things that doesn't help if you get, if you get poorly. But it's hard because, of course, with me, for those who don't know, when I did give up the alcohol, I immediately replaced it with, with food. And I, was, and, and, and I allowed myself to, to revel in that and celebrate it for a while because it was like, well, hang on a minute, I've given up alcohol and I've given up drugs. 
Um, and 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 so so what if I want to eat all the pies? Ooh, pie! Then of course I was doing that play in Kingston, uh, directed by Richard Wilson of One Foot in the Grave, and he said to me, "Darling, don't be bringing your diets here." He said one of the lines is, "She's got an ass the size of Norfolk." So he said, "You're not dieting while you're doing this." So I was going, "Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant!" And of course I very very quickly put on two and a half stone. Now that's not a load of amount of weight, but it is for me. It is on my frame, and it is when you're on the telly and you look at the monitor and you're two and a half stone bigger. And um, I also realized that just with that weight gain for me, my osteoarthritis was there, my breathing was impaired, and all of these things. And, and I also realized, but I kept it to myself, that although I was publicly saying, oh, who cares? I'm not worrying about eating more. I'm not worrying about eating more. I was actually eating in the same way that I was drinking. So I was... I, I was um, I was secret eating and, and binging unaware um, with other people unawares. Now, there was no need for me to secret eat in my house because Lincoln and Louie didn't have a problem if I wanted to have 10 bars of chocolate at midnight. But I was having a dessert with everybody and then sneaking into the kitchen and shoving two other desserts in. And I thought, you know what? This is not normal. I am literally replacing one addiction with another. And that's when I thought... I haven't got to just go on a diet. I've got to actually change the crooked thinking in my mind. Otherwise, this is going to become as dangerous as the alcohol. Oh, so I, I, oh well, I've got to replace the sugar from the yeah. alcohol. Yes. <laughs> yes, but it, but it is. You've got 40 years of sugar surging through <laughs> your veins. So you've got the physical addiction, but also the mental addiction was trying to fill a hole that could never be filled you know, fill an emotional hole because I hadn't dealt with certain issues. So the alcohol had gone, but then the food was coming in and going to bed with bottles of antacid and stuff. You know, it was just, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't have a binge and I'm not saying I don't fall off the wagon. Of course I do. I've done the same as lots of people in this situation, but I have the, I have the cognitive behavioral therapy tools yeah. to just click back in when I, when I need them. So I'll never let that get out of control again. It's just, and, and, and they're only subconscious tools. I don't think, oh, clicking into CBT. You know, I just, yeah. I, I know when to pull back. And what are you doing for exercise? Are you just, uh, do, do, do you get out? We try to do, we do about one walk a day. And I have to say my fitness levels had been rubbish, Kev, before this. I'd, mm. I had really just um, let myself get very physically unfit. And, um, so we're doing about, we do, we've got our little 5K route that we do. And I'm trying to sort of, when I say jog, I haven't got a proper jogging bra. So I've got my sort of boobs that, the ones that Alan Shearer said, I've seen you playing Keep Me Uppy, we had tits and the big brother who's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got those things wobbling, wobbling around. And, um, and when I say jogging, it's not good for my knees or my back. So it's pretty much... I, I, I jog away from Lincoln and expect to look back and see this person who's only about three steps behind me on the walk. But, you know, even if I just do 5K a day, it's 5K a day that I wasn't doing before. What right. are you guys doing for that? Well, we're lucky because we live right by the sea. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've been walking down the front, which is nice and flat, and it's, and it's beautiful. And yeah, it's it is beautiful. I used to live there, didn't I? Yeah, it's so beautiful. And we've been get, you've been going on the bike, haven't you? Yeah, I've been getting a bike and then riding down the, the, the bit. And if I go too far, I get Claire to come pick me up. <laughs> he rings me up and goes, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want fancy walking back uh, or getting a bike back. Come and get 
Are you a mammal, Kev? A what? A mammal, which is middle-aged men in lycra. Oh, no, 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 no. That's grounds with divorce. Oh, no. Yeah, isn't it? No, I'm quite well-dressed. It did happen out the other day on one of these Boris bikes. You know the ones that you can hire? Yeah. Brilliant. And he he did it with no shirt on and got whistled out by two gay guys. Mm. He was made up. Oh yeah. He came back. Well, yeah, you've got to take it where it take it where it is, haven't you? Now it was well made. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. So what I do is I cycle one way, and then if I'm not too tired, I walk back. Um, But I'm quite fit because of all the the shows. I'm constantly. Well, absolutely. Were you in the middle of a show when this happened, Kev? Yeah, I was out in um, I was out in Florida and Miami. I was uh, Miami and I was rehearsing for uh, We Will Rock You on one of the ships. Uh, and oh God, I think I remember that. Yeah, Anthem of the Seas. Anthem of the Seas, uh, and everything was great. Uh, and I have to say, Royal Caribbean were brilliant. They said, "Look, there's nothing we can do. Uh, we're going to pay you a little bit and then send you all home." Um, and that's still going to happen. I don't know when. Uh, but I it'll, was... all, it'll all happen. I have to think that, you know, I feel so sorry for, you know, the. Uh, at least I know that within my family and my sons, you know, we can all eat yeah. and we're going to come through this having been able to pay our bills. And I just feel heart sorry for the amount of people who haven't. And I get a little bit cross when people knock our industry as if we're not important. And you think, but let's hang on a minute. What's getting you through this? What are yeah. you watching? Yeah. What, are what are you watching? Entertainers play a big part in this world because we couldn't be doing without them now. So I get a little bit defensive about our tribe. Quite you right. know, and about the fact that they've just been left with nothing and people's shows have been pulled and they've got nothing and very hard to get even universal credit and stuff. It's hard. But well, I think that we will rise again. This of not knowing where the next meal is coming from, I think it's, it's our tribe because we're pretty much used to it to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, it's famine, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it is. It is. But I think that we will, we will definitely rise again, and I think it will be quite joyous when it, when, when it, when it happens, and hopefully come out of this nicer people. I you think, know, I think the future is very bright. I think yeah. I do. I mean, I wish I was at a hairdressing shop because the people are on, online. Try. I cut my own hair. I cut my own <laughs> hair today. And my hairdresser thinks I've done a really good job. Oh, there you go. Dentist hair fashion's coming up. I think I think all the arts will, will thrive. Yeah, I think yeah. people are going to need to go to the theatre. People are going to need the football will come back, theatre will come back, cinema will come back, restaurants, cafes. Oh, and I, people are going to hear art, she says, hopefully, because she's married to an artist. And I yes, do, I think people are going to want nice things and to go to lovely places and oh, think, they'd be entertained. No, I think they really would yeah. appreciate I think Lincoln better brace himself, though, because I think there's going to be a lot more hugging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't well, think... I, well, to be perfectly honest, his isolator um, videos on Instagram have been so successful. I, I think there might be a lot of job offers on the acting front coming through for Link. Um, okay. So he might he might have to get used to hugging if he's going to be a lovey. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's going to yeah. be a twirly. Yeah, I do actually think uh, one of the positives I think will be nicer people. Yeah, people coming out of this, I think we'll certainly take won't take anything for granted anymore. We won't take any of the lower paid things. For, and, and dear God, let's just hope that Boris, having gone through what he's gone through, and thank goodness, come out the other side. But having witnessed firsthand that we cannot allow our NHS and our service workers like the bin men and the super... We can't ignore those low-paid workers anymore, no. can we? 
and I hope and pray that this is an amazing opportunity for for, for to address the, everything a bit of a redress and for those yeah I mean I went out to my bin men and I'm the same as anybody else I take you know I never I've always got a cheery wave for people but I sort of you go on with your own life don't you and you take things for granted that's happening around you and I went out last week to put my bin out when the bin men were coming and they were full of smiles and a little wave and everything and I just thought you know during these circumstances those guys have no idea what they're picking up what is contaminated because you can't trust everybody who's had an illness to have wrapped stuff up and do you know what I mean and 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 they were still smiling and getting on with it and I thought god I'm never ever going to be one of those people that takes anybody for granted again ever all of these amazing online platforms I mean honestly Dan um all of the fellowships have come into their own they've they've all of these amazing platforms. For me, that's what I'm trying to shout out from the rooftops is that there is loads of support available. If people are looking to get into recovery or are frightened that they think they're drinking or using too much, there's still loads of support available and it's all online now, you know. So for me, that's what I want. I want that to remain part of the... the Absolutely. Um, and there's so many pages I've discovered. Like there's a page on Instagram, which is called Sober Sisters. And it's people who are young too, you know, and they they have just brilliant quotes and they have lovely stories. And, you know, people who've been in, in, in recovery for two days or two weeks or two months or two years. It's called Sober Sisters, but there's no gender thing there. Yeah. I've and got they, a who's Sober Sister. Really, they're really, really, um, they're, they're very encouraging. And I look to them a lot just when I'm feeling a little bit, a little bit low. There's some fantastic stories on there. And just sometimes, you know, you might think a little inspirational quote's a bit naff, but to be honest, you read one at the right time and it really, really helps you, doesn't it, sometimes? It Things that I thought that were a bit naff, now I'm really reaching out for. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you were going to leave, if you obviously we'll wrap we'll wrap our little chat up now because we've we've held you all this time and thank you for yeah thank you you're welcome i've enjoyed it's just been a joy to spend time with you absolute joy to see you and always always a pleasure to to chat and you know we're here all the time for you don't you you know that we can do it we can do if, if if people enjoy it we'll do it more regularly for sure That'd be lovely. And but if you're gonna leave people with something to to just a bit of hope, what would you say around especially around the recovery bit about the um you know if they're struggling a little I bit? I just think that it will that sobriety will is is the thing that I am most proud of, and it's important to find your anchor. My anchor is Lincoln, but my other anchor is the fact that. My mum died knowing I'd just got sober. That becomes an anchor to me. The fact that my children's lives are free and they can I've given them the wings to fly, that becomes an anchor to me. So I think it's important to find an anchor and remind yourself of that. And I just know that my life is every single aspect, every single part of my life is 100% better since I got sober. It's also, um, I think... I think the quote is interesting as well. One of my favorite quotes is that um, is that alcohol is the only drunk drink, the only drug you have to apologize for not taking. Mm. Don't be don't be swayed into you know don't don't be people are scared to give up because they think they'll lose their personality and everything. No, you won't. My friends say that I am nicer and funnier and nice. You know, even my drinking friends. Mm. So um, and also finding. 
finding your tribe, finding people like you. As you say, there are so many online communities to help. And it doesn't mean you're giving up your life. It means that you're rediscovering the life you had before. <clears throat> oh. And that there's there's loads of us there's loads of us out there to turn to for support. Thanks. Love you, love, love you, Thanks, Kisses to the girls. Bye. Kennedy Street. Please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist.